0: Hold on. Okay. So you're telling me that the same product, Tide detergent or a soft drink or something in a different city or state will have a different formulation.
1: Yes. State and rural regulations are different and companies tailor their products to their customers.
0: And this is all software-based how? Because it's all the algorithms on the back end that like tell it how much of each ingredient to put into each bottle based on where it's shipping.
1: (laughs) Absolutely how it works or they make it in different regions.
0: Got it. Welcome to today's Business Breakthrough Podcast. I'm super excited to be chatting with Calvin Brown today. Calvin, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Guys, it's gonna be a fun show. We just have a great vibe going already. Calvin is a tech founder with experience managing global teams and multi-million dollar software deliverables. He's a background in software architecture, coding and understanding of the entire process to inform his mindful but competitive approach and he has a good copywriter, Um, (laughs) fueled by passion for understanding the nuances of different businesses' technical challenges and creating a common sense path to solve them. He's a forever student, eager to build on hands-on technical foundation by architecting, building, and teaching others the art of making complex complex, technical issues solvable. That could be a tongue twister. Um, and one more fun thing, his love for giving back inspired him in 2017 to create a community that offers free technical training. Today, that tech group of nearly a thousand professional black coders has access to the strategies and techniques used to build lots of the software we are all familiar with and use every day. Calvin, yes. how'd you get into tech?
1: Um, I got into it uh, not because I knew exactly what I wanted to do. Um, I thought I wanted to fix computers. So uh, that's all I knew about hardware. i would never had a computer in my home. Um, I met a relative at a family reunion. uh, For those who are not familiar, Uh, most uh, Black Americans uh, get back together. It's a traditional thing. We get back together uh, in groups because we're all in different states, things like that, um, usually to kind of in the different namings of families, like, you know, just kind of connect. That's like usually a yearly thing, maybe bi-yearly. But How large anyway, are the groups? Um,
0: usually about 100 people. Oh, wow. So like extended family reunion things yeah. every it's year. Like
1: everybody who you're related to and loosely related to.
0: That's um, cool. Why is that a Black thing? I'm saying I'm, I guess I've never heard of it in other communities.
1: <laughs> I think it's because Black people were uh, separated, just the history, of, and they sort of separated in different places. And so you never really knew a lot of your relatives. So, you know, I grew up in Mississippi um, and, you know, my family may have been there for, you know, a hundred, no, not may have been there. I know when my family got there and other people moved during the uh, great migration to Chicago and other areas um, that had, you know, the jobs uh, during the, the Ford and all of those big Yeah, Uh, industries and so they moved there and of course they went west so you just don't have those connections after you know they have kids and all that so we tend to get together in some general place and everybody meets and generally speaking lose this contact again until the next time but
0: I think that's so cool I feel like everyone should do that I think everyone's got you know at this point in the world everyone splits up I found out I think in my late teens that I had relatives living in my own city that I'd never met I was
1: like, I'm I'm not great at keeping up. It's definitely a thing. And you meet so many interesting people. Um, I met a relative who was doing software. I was not interested because I didn't know what it was. And he just said, oh, we're doing computers. We do an internship. You're coming to Atlanta, right? And I was like, yeah. So he invited me for the summer. um, And I fell in love with it. And that's pretty much how I got started. They are doing older healthcare stuff. So I didn't think it was that interesting, but the idea that you could do something once. So I come to Atlanta and I have this relative who's doing software. And um, I didn't like it because it was older stuff. It's all the black screens you see when you go to like hospitals and things like that. Black so screen, it was more-
0: flashing blue box cursor type, yes. old old software systems,
1: Nothing look like they're
0: made on QBasic,
1: <laughs> right? <laughs> Nothing that anybody in their right mind starts doing as a teenager. Right. So, um, the fact that they could do it once and, and get it to multiple people, I saw the impact of it. And that was kind of my driving force. And initially, obviously I'm like 17, 18 as a kid. And he's like, Oh yeah, we sell this same thing again. I'm like, Oh yeah, that makes sense to me. And so um, I got into um, what people know at the time. It would have been VB4, so Visual Basic 4. So it's very wow. rudimentary, very simple programming language. But they used to put pretty screens on top of their older screens. And it was like revolutionary at the time. And so I kind of got this, um, I wouldn't even call it like a fame, but it was like, I'm the guy who does this part. And it kind of uh, was exciting. You got, you got
0: known for that. Yes. So what... What would be an example? Because you talk about doing a you know common sense path to solve technical business challenges. Mm-hmm. What would be an, like I'm I'm a super software geek, right? My background says CIO, I do database architecture, I love it. I love organizing things. I love playing with active campaign and making these like insanely complex, like decision tree email threads. Right. Um, what would be an example of a, a business technical challenge that would be solved by software?
1: So um, one of the challenges um, that most businesses have is how to connect with their customers, right? It's just, they're doing all the stuff for them, but their customers have no idea what's happening in the process. So an example, and I'll use another brand to make it easy. It's something like MailChimp. It's very basic, right? You put email addresses in there, you set the time you want to send it, or based on some action, you wanted to send the customer an email. There's no reason to go back and rebuild this. So... If we're building a tool and the company spent, I don't know, $15 million on a tool and they're like, the client has no idea what the status of what they're doing is going on. I'm like, integrate MailChimp, something that simple. Those Uh are common sense things. Sometimes we think that we're so amazing that we want to have all these super complex ideas and things like that. Um, But I was told once by a guy who was an actual rocket scientist that screws and rivets hold rockets together. So it doesn't matter about all the tech if the screws and rivets come out. It's not even a, a thing. So it's that type of thinking that we apply to software.
0: Right. There was, oh, is it a book or a movie that there was like one, one rivet or something that was off and it made a whole mm-hmm. rocket fall apart? Was that real or movie? I can't remember even <laughs> now.
1: Well, it's, it's true for software too. Sometimes you can over engineer and it's like the worst thing ever. Um, we've all used some app that's like, I don't understand what this means. It's over engineered, it has too much information. Right. Too um, much going if to, on. Yeah, if you try to scramble to find your boarding pass on your app and, you know, depending on who you fly, it can be a, a thing while you're standing there. So it's stuff like that.
0: Right. And that's more, isn't that more like UX, right? Which is interface, user interface.
1: Yes. That's the part that people see first, but even what happens in the background, like if it's a whole bunch going on and the, the messaging is just bad, all that applies like people are using this, not computers.
0: so what do what do small business owners need to know about tech or what what would be the best direction for your average small business owner to take when it comes to adopting technology, maybe building their own technology, like just in this world, how do they choose the right softwares?
1: Um, so I don't know that there is ever a good choice of the software right there. is <laughs> what's working. Uh, The thing I always, and, you know, we um, take on six large clients at a time, and we take on two smaller clients uh, just for our workload. nine of us, so um, that makes sense. But one of the things that we always prescribe is you should always look to automate things that are like that pain point, that one thing that you procrastinate doing every day, somebody else has the same issue, and you should look to replace this with something automated, whether it's printing postage or whatever that process is, um, you should look to either outsource it or find some software that does that. Uh, I'll give an example. We did this dress shop. Uh, it's a relatively small dress shop. They do prom dresses, all of this. But when you when the young girls buy their dresses, they have to be altered a lot of times. And just even that process of notifying people when they came back uh, was a whole thing. They had to like look up the dress and go through this whole process. We just Made it where we print these tags, they literally just scan it and it sends the text message to the customer. To say, hey, your dress is ready. This is what's due, all of this stuff, right? So you're talking about it. it's like talking those to, little
0: things.
1: Those little things save hours because each dress had to be manually looked up uh, for them. And they just scan it with their phone and then it s- sends the notification and sends the you know what's due and all of that, and they schedule to come in. So this helps them to have fewer employees, which helps their bottom line. So it's something that simple.
0: I love that. Okay, give me more examples. I feel like just thinking this way makes me smarter. <laughs>
1: um, when you do a self checkout uh, system, uh, okay. they use to weigh the items, right? And I don't know if when, when you first use them, they would always like say they're calling an attendant because mm-hmm. they would try to say, all right, this toothpaste weighs this much. And so when you put it on a scale, if it didn't weigh that much, then it would be wrong. But they never assumed that they entered it incorrectly the first okay. time so it was making more work. So they had to have more interaction. So what we did is just put a range. Right. <laughs> it was like, it could weigh between this and this. What if it has a little bit less in it? Um, if you go to Walmart versus Target, the product is prepared differently. So, you know, Tide may have a little bit more or less than one or the other. So- it Will it? Different? Yeah. Hold um.
0: on, hold on one second. Regular CPG consumer packaged goods will have different amounts in them depending on the store.
1: Yes, or more water or more filler. Yes.
0: I feel like my whole world is crumbling right now. Yes. Explain this and explain how you know this.
1: Okay. So <laughs> when products are packaged and sent out, so uh, they all example, say on them
0: like 96 loads or 112 ounces or whatever. They say it's the not same. As
1: concentrated. So, for example, when you're in Europe, right, they have like uh, sugar consumption laws, right? You can't have as much sugar.
0: Yes. Every time I'm in yeah. Europe, there's stickers on everything yes. that's like, this has excessive sugar. I'm like, thanks for letting me know. I'm going to not buy that now. <laughs> like the first, And I've been in <laughs> Europe a lot did. the last like few years. The first time I was like, what, what is with the like guilt trips people? Like, what is, I don't care.
1: Yeah. And it's the same is true here. They make products for different markets. So majority of the United States, no matter how pretty it is in our cities, majority of the United States is rural. And so their yeah. consumption is different than say in California, right? Okay. In LA where, you know, people are super health conscious, things like that. So the product is altered and slightly different. So they have those little numbers on all products. So there's like batch types and all of that when they produce these products.
0: Uh, so maybe more how rural. do you know this?
1: Uh, because we write the systems that produce them and make sure that they get packaged and sent to the right places.
0: That is super cool. <laughs> so, like, okay. so you write the system place. that that reads the batch coded numbers to make sure mm-hmm. that the one that's more concentrated lands in I don't know where the more concentrated one goes, mm-hmm. um, California or Atlanta mm-hmm. or Missouri or whatever.
1: Or with less sugar, yes. Or with less sugar. Mm-hmm. There's different types of products with different things. And so you're reading the whole palette, not the individual products. So those palettes, then there's notification that say, hey, these trucks, pick these up and drive these to this area of the, the country. There are different products.
0: And so you're working for like the mom and pop groceries or you're working for like Procter and Gamble when they're manufactured? Like who are you working for that you're writing that software? Like which business is contracting you to do it?
1: So for the grocery store example, that's like the second largest grocery in America. And for the products, it's like, I don't know how big they are. They're a hundred years old and probably 50 billion.
0: That is super cool. Okay, now I have a whole different tangent. I I feel like it like opens up as we talk. Like we start talking, it's like, okay, okay. And then I like pick on you a little bit and you're like, boom <laughs> like blowing my mind um how I would like to ask the questions that I feel like everyone listening is asking how do you get those clients I feel mean, people are listening they're like "Wait, I want to work with a 50 billion dollar client like how does he do that so I'm going to ask it I'm going to ask it for you guys how would you do that
1: so to me, it's never been about the end client. I really love software, right? And the people who work with me, they're really passionate about building things and seeing those things in the market. And so it's gonna cost the same, it's just your scale that matters, right? So the part that we forget is that the app that's on your phone, whether they built it for $1 or a million dollars, they it's the same app on everybody's phone, right? And so software is the same. They pay the same price for it. So when we're building things, we are normally found because we built some component or something for another company. And they're like, hey, can you do this? It's usually a small contract. And then normally after, you know, we have a good working relationship, they're like, hey, we were looking to revamp our St. Louis, you know, distribution thing. And, you know, we have this whole system and how do we integrate, I don't know, some other part with this. And we research it, we give a bid, you know, a year later, we get a call and that's how it works.
0: That's a long sales cycle.
1: But later. we stay working. So the thing is, I've been doing it so long. So, right. um you know, I'm the old guy now. But um, I started doing this in '96. So but that
0: that is a little while ago. <laughs> I I think cool. I was starting high school in '96. Oh man, so, yeah. <laughs> and and on. I'm old in this world and this field as well, right? Most people are like 22 and they're like, yeah. oh my gosh, we're getting old. We'll be 25 soon.
1: Not at all. Not at all, but yeah, it's that's how it happens, and so you have all these conversations, you build all these things that last for years, that companies never replace, and then you're found, and then of course there's tons of media now, right? So I'm on any number of things, so you know we get these random calls. Like, so hey, they really just find guy? you based
0: on your work. You're not doing any official prospecting. You're not trying to find them. You've never. been in the field long enough that it's referral basis.
1: I've never had a billboard. I've never paid for that.
0: Right. Me neither. And I I feel like I want to point out when you do business, right? It's one of the things that I teach in my marketing program. When you do it right, your clients will be your marketers. They will be your evangelists. They will rehire you. They will encourage other people to hire you. They will spread your name. They will say how great it was to work Mm -hmm. with you. Um, This past week, I just had the most beautiful experience. There was one day that I had three former clients all of whom I hadn't worked with in like two years plus mm-hmm. reach out because they were ready for next or something else or one of them had a client he was working with that thought needed me and I was just like wow okay what I do does work okay cool I feel good You make about these moments Absolutely.
1: um
0: I love it so I love it
1: that's how I like to work it's it's really more um feeling based than it is business based um we don't really do products that we don't care for or that we're not passionate about. And so I think that helps because you really want to pour into it, right? Um, I just don't have the um, personality to uh, do things just for money. Um, I say that on this side of it, right? <laughs> but even when, <laughs> when, when we I get, know, like, Yeah, well, and-
0: you have the $50 billion client, you can say that now. But the, I, I want to point out the way you get mm-hmm. that client is because you're like that the whole time. that's that's how you end up
1: there. Yeah, when I didn't have it, we didn't do it. I mean, now, you know, when you scale, you start to be bigger, you got offices, that kind of stuff matters. You consider the client, but it's still stuff that we want to build. It's still the same quality. Um, I still go over the products uh, before they go out and look at them the same way I did when it was just me putting them on. I still go through them and look at them and go, move this to the left. This is a little too bright. That's what I still look at them.
0: I kind of want to know what other big secrets about the world you're holding now that I know that they make Tide detergent different in different cities.
1: I, I have uh, I have uh, signed many agreements. <laughs> <laughs> <I> can't disclose. <laughs> and governmental stuff, too. I, can't
0: I, I believe that. So I'm going to go back to, uh, to small business owners. I'm going to go in a slightly different direction. This might not be the world that you work in most frequently, but I'm curious about mm-hmm. it. I know so many of uh, my clients now, so many people who are like, oh, I just want to build an app. I want to build an app. I think I'm going to build an app. I'm going to build an app. Oh, I want to do my business. I'm going to build an app. Um, and uh, and I always think it's so cute because <laughs> you, cute. you don't know anything about technology. Like, oh, yeah, I'll build an app. It's got buttons. I'm going to hire an app person. And it's like, yeah. Like, I worked with a client at one point who had done that and their app was done. I just took one look at it. And I was like, wow, like, The UX is terrible. The marketing is terrible. You can't walk people through it. They were spending tons of money on ads, sending people to sign up for the app, but no one was signing up because you would get to the main intro screen and it would give you like four different choices. I'm like, why, what, (laughs) you can't, you 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 don't, what? (laughs) But then the redesign was so costly. And so then we put like, okay, I'm not Mm -hmm. even gonna go there it was a very hot mess. (laughs) Mm -hmm. What would you say to a small business owner who's like, oh yeah, I want to make an app. I think I want to make an app. I think apps are so cool. I think my business should have an app.
1: I will tell you that one of the questionable decisions I've made in my life is um, one of the car I drive the most. I have apps on the tag and uh, that's probably the worst decision I could ever make because every person, because they've seen an app, believes they should have it an for any reason. So to answer your question, everybody does not need an app. Your business does not necessarily need an app. What an app is, it is automation for things that your business already does. It is not going to bring you new clients, right? It enables you to manage the clients that you have in a more codified way. So. Here's an example. Um, if you sell soaps, right, and you sell these soaps and you have a website and everybody doesn't have time or, you know, if you want to sell them across the country, which most of it is rural, this app will enable them to have access to your stuff to order more soaps. They're not going to seek out people online who are selling soaps through apps. They're not going to search for soap-based apps in the app store. Nobody's doing that. Right. They know you as a business and then they go search for your product in the app store.
0: But who's gonna even download an app just to buy your soap?
1: It's things like that. That's why I'm saying everybody doesn't need it. If you already have an established business right. and customers have a need for it, meaning you're seeing more volume for people who are saying, hey, I would like to do this, but I don't have a computer to access this, or um, I wanna set up subscription, something like that. Something that the, cl- the client needs. That's what the app is for. The app is to enhance. It is not to bring
0: business. I really like that.
1: Or but
0: I, I kind of feel like, and, and I'd love to know your opinion that it'd be better to piggyback on the apps that already exist on the, cause I know at one point we were looking, I don't love Facebook. It's not my favorite platform. It's great. It's amazing. And for those who are into it, it's, it's, fabulous. And it's definitely the OG of all social media and the world we live in. Um, and so when I started my first group program, it's kind of standard. You have like a membership group and a chat group everyone can talk. And so many people were doing, this is already a few years ago and everyone was doing Facebook. I'm like, I don't like Facebook. I don't log in myself to Facebook. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, you know what, I'm going to do my own. And I didn't even, I didn't even build my own. I took a white labeled network and made my own like proprietary social network. It was terrible. It was that There's a reason Facebook is Facebook and this white label thing I had to hunt for. Like there's a reason for that.
1: Yes. And they have a room filled with people in multiple countries um, who are just the, their only job eight hours a day is to focus on making this product better. Yeah. There's a reason for that. I mean, you're not going to just show up. Um, I mean, we have a slight disaster story that was happening today with the exact same Ooh,
0: I want to
1: hear it. I want to hear it. So we have a client and um, their product, it's an amazing product. I, I love the product. They're one of our smaller clients. They have, so the in-home chef thing is becoming big, particularly in areas like Richmond, California, and in New Orleans, which is where their first launch is. So the app- Appenac- I'm surprised
0: about New Orleans. California, I could see, but I feel like it's New a, Orleans, really?
1: It's a big thing. The home chef thing is really huge. And when so- home
0: chef is huge. I just- I have to travel more. Like in my head, New Orleans just means Mardi Gras. And I just picture everybody like more low-key life. Oh, I
1: just spent two weeks there, two weeks ago. So yeah.
0: Is it not more low-key? Is it like super bustling? Because I feel like (laughs) home chef stuff is so popular in like busy cities where everyone's too busy to like figure out their own shopping and recipes and whatever.
1: No, it's more like uh, this one lady makes these uh, crawfish taquitos. Okay. Everybody in the city loves it, and so instead of them standing outside of her house for four (laughs) hours, she's, you know, they're making these
0: kits, and they can make it themselves.
1: Or they go live, and she's going to cook two hundred, and then they could sell out right then. And so these. Wow. And so one of the components of the system is when the person is live. um, The exact comment that came to us today um, when they were. Um, just not as happy was that they want their life to look like Instagram and <laughs> I was like and why
0: don't you use Instagram
1: <laughs> well I was like well you know Instagram is a multi-billion dollar corporation right. with probably two to three hundred developers their only job is just to work on and monitor their live component yeah. right? and so if you want to build something like that it will take years and the money right to do that because there's so many nuances you just
0: don't you don't either. even think about this tiny media. I was thinking that the other day, because I've been studying TikTok recently, because it has the most brilliant algorithm of every and any social media platform I've ever come across. Mm-hmm. I actually have a feeling they track eye movements mm-hmm. um, because it doesn't make sense to me how quickly and how well they track what you want and how mm-hmm. fast they transition. So I-, I think they're watching. I would have to try to cover my camera and see <laughs> I didn't try that yet. Yeah, um, but... Yeah, like just the slightest thing where you can like swipe and do this or that the thing look, like these tiny nuances you don't realize that you only perfect after you've gotten all the basics down and all the next things down. But why wouldn't this woman just use Instagram Live then if she wants it to look like Instagram Live because she's cooler to have her own live?
1: Well, they, the customer data, uh, being able to monetize, um, that's their driving force. But every the entire app is done. Um, it's been done for a while. It's just that we're at this... Acceptance phase of how good is alive, <laughs> and so this, yeah, this is a thing for customers. And this is what I tell anyone who wants an app: like it's it's very difficult to match what you see because you're talking about. You mentioned Facebook earlier; they're a multi-billion-dollar company, and you know, heavily invested company like Goldman Sachs and things like that. So they have the infrastructure to pull this off. It doesn't take millions of dollars to build an app, but your idea needs to be really simple and really to the point otherwise competing with the big guys there's a reason they're that big and that volume. like managing millions of customers every day is not an easy task they have data centers all over the nation for this they're billions of dollars and just computers so you know imagine having to to put all of that together i don't think they think that far into it they just want to be cool for the most
0: part totally and i think really i've found that all tech projects are like that one of the things i teach also in my program is just what it means to build a website. What is a website? I use a whole analogy to a house and land and infrastructure and all these things, because you go out there. So remember my early days. Um, so I, I always from the beginning was doing like implementation projects with clients. In the beginning, I would just bring in freelancers, so we had our own team. And I remember one of my early clients was like, "Okay, Esti, I'm paying you for strategy, and this one programmer, and this one designer, and then they have me paying hosting, and then they want me to pay a copywriter. What is going on here? Like this is such a rip off." Like. That, that's So if you were building a house, you would pay for the land and then you would pay for the architect and you would pay for the construction materials and you would pay for the contractor and you would pay for the builder people to put it together and you'd pay for all of the building um, mm. and everything. And then you'd still pay an interior designer potentially and you'd have to buy furniture and paintings mm. to hang on the wall. And you're like, I don't understand why I'm buying all these things for my house because you want all those things in your house. That's why.
1: Yes. And you want to see them when you get there. Uh, my favorite when we're working with customers is we thought you guys would have just done this.
0: <laughs> guys, not we, just we just done. thought, yeah, it wasn't in the spec, um, and we never discussed it. But we just assumed that you would take care of it.
1: And they like to say no, even if it took two weeks to do, it, and just like no, we don't really want that. That's two weeks you can't get back. So yeah. um, that's the other part about building an app. It is it's very intimate process with your thoughts of how you see your business everybody isn't 100% clear on what their business is, like how they see it scaling. And if you're not 100% clear, it will be a challenge in order to get one. But I don't want to make it seem impossible. I mean, we have apps come in and go out in three weeks, right? They're just really simple. Customers need to do X, Y, and Z. It's very similar to something we already have. We just need to change the colors. Those people are very successful in doing it. The other you know, larger dreamers who've never done it before, the zero to 100 people is what we call yeah. it. Yeah, that's... um. And Those so, are a
0: lot tougher. And
1: this is big clients too. I don't want to confuse like it's only small clients. Really, really big clients, products have you used, particularly phone companies, cell phone companies, terrible at building apps and things like that. There's too many regulations and things that can and cannot show. Um, there's a lot going on there. Legal text has to show before this. And, you know, they, it's very difficult for them to finish anything.
0: Wow. Why are phone companies so regulated?
1: Um, I don't know. I don't know if it's the information or it's because everybody has a phone. And so, Interesting. you know, there's just so many laws around it. But there's just like things you can and can't do um, with the, their particular apps, uh, even with billing in different states. You know, every state has their own like taxes and fees and all that stuff. Right. All of that factors in. So you think about it, you have one app, but it has to adjust for every township, town, city, state. All of that and the fees and taxes when you show billing and stuff like that—that
0: that is super complex.
1: Very okay, and getting cool. yes is may take a month for somebody to say yes, you can do that.
0: Wow, and and lengthy. Um, I want to go in a different direction because in the intro I mentioned that you have a tech group of nearly a thousand professional black coders. Fourteen hundred. 1400 now okay so you got to update that um tell me about this what's its purpose what does it do hey guys thank you so much for listening to part one of this episode stay tuned for part two going live thursday and of course subscribe you do not want to miss this You've been listening to the Business Breakthrough Podcast with S.D. Rand. If you're looking for a breakthrough in your business, reach out at sdrand.com slash breakthrough to be a guest on the show. Everyone's got a business struggle. What's yours?